Welcome back to Taiwan Report. I'm Donovan Smith. All right, today a little bit of news that uh, has been cropping up today and yesterday. Uh, Hang Yu, there's a report out on him that alleges that he uh, sought Canadian citizenship or at least residency uh, via a Quebec investment plan. Uh, now, his wife and Eric Chu have been uh, running up and down the country, making a lot of campaign stops. But yesterday, Han himself only made two. Now, there are various allegations or suggestions as to why this may be. Some think that he's trying to keep a low profile so there are no more gaffes. Another possibility is that some legislators don't want to appear on stage with him. Now, I don't know which, which or if either is indeed the case, but that, that's a speculation out there right now. Now, today I want to talk mostly about what's coming up or what to look for in the election coming up. Now, I want to kick off with the Taiwan People's Party. Uh, this There's an excellent piece here in Frozen Garlic, and he visited a TPP rally in Taichung and wrote it up. Definitely check it out. Now, you can find it, of course, here on report.tw. All right, so now he noted, he basically confirmed something that both me and Michael Turton have been talking about on Current Affairs Taiwan. Now, we both noted that it seems like his party, the TPP, is in, in essence kind of a cobbled together party that doesn't really have a clear ideology other than, as I think we put it at the time, kind of had its platform was essentially apple pie kind of things like clean government, working hard, um, that kind of thing, and really didn't, uh, doesn't really have a very clear um, ideology when it comes to dealing with China and the United States. Now, here's some of what uh, Frozen Garlic had to say. Ke presents politics in a moral frame. For him, diligence is the hallmark of morality. Working hard is the only consistent theme that the TPP communicates. They talked over and over about starting meetings at 7.30. As early, early starts guaranteed good results. Ke likes to repeat wang 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 and onomatopoeia, <laughs> meaning something like work, work, work. Now, it goes on, he says he's not a real, poly, uh, not exactly a populist. Uh, he does talk about diversity and, po and pluralism, and he does not define a general will on behalf of the real people. Ke says that administrative efficiency is the most important thing for effective government, but he doesn't seem to think that the general public has, above all, a burning desire for administrative efficiency. This is more of an internal technocratic instruction to his team. If you want to perform well in office, you have to have administrative efficiency. Now, Ke's discourse might have a coherent internal logic, but it is nonetheless horribly flawed. Ke's fundamental assumption that Taiwan can't and so shouldn't do anything about its relationship with China is clearly false. The United States has never issued a blank check to Taiwan. That relationship must be carefully managed and nurtured. More importantly, the relationship with China does not reduce simply to unification or independence. Taiwan has to make important decisions about day-to-day -day economic, cultural, and political interactions. These decisions will have an enormous impact on how the relationship develops in future years and decades. That relationship will in turn affect the choices around Taiwan's future status. Ke simply doesn't want to talk about how he would manage China policy. For now, the handful of TPP legislators might be able to sidestep this question, but if Ke runs for president in the future, this answer will not be sufficient. 
The TPP might also have to face the problem that lots of politicians work hard. They do not have a monopoly on their central selling point. However, other than ignoring cross-strait relations and working hard, it is unclear that the TP, what the TPP represents. In the end, maybe all they are left with is Ko Wenja's personal charisma. Now, that's an excellent summary. Um, the, he also went on to say that at the rally, the politicians uh, the, uh, from the TPP basically pr- uh, uh, they put their finger on a lot of problems but really didn't come out with any solutions whatsoever. Now, the TPP, it looks like, will probably make it into the legislator on the party list. Now, what that means is there's 34 seats in the legislator that are assigned proportionally by voting for a party. So the party gets to choose these people and put them in. So they're very likely to make it in there. So they might have anywhere from three to five seats, maybe six. Uh, But most likely they're looking around maybe four. Um, So they will be in the legislature, but out of 113, they're not going to have a huge impact. Now, moving on to some other third parties. The PFP, uh, it didn't look like if you looked at... um, the support levels going in now they were all over the place unfortunately but they did not appear to show that the pfp was going to make it in now i think that they have a very good chance of actually making it in because what they need is to hit that five percent mark in the vote there were quite a few uh, people out there who were undecided and there's going to there's a, a good chunk of the population possibly as much as 40 percent that will not vote for the dpp are not really keen on these new pan-green parties or third force parties, and they are upset or unhappy with the KMT over their party list that they released. So I think that those undecideds who won't vote for any of the others but are upset with the KMT will probably push them over the top. Now, the NPP, the NPP, the New Power Party, they have now this is very interesting is Huang Guochang, who's their most famous legislator left or their most famous figure left after Hong Tseyong and Freddie Lim left over their internal dispute over whether or not to publicly support D- the DPP's Tsai Ing-wen and cooperate with the DPP in this election or not to. Huang Guochang and his allies stuck firm saying that they would not work with the DPP. As they put it, they did not want to be called, they did not want to be a little green party. Now, there is some logic to this. The And there's also some logic to uh, Freddie Lim and Hong Tseyong and those people who wanted to work with the, with the, the DPP. Now, those that wanted to work with the DPP, their argument was basically this. The KMT pre- presents an existential crisis to the nation because they potentially would sell out Taiwan to China. And so they felt that it was more important in to work with the DPP to head off the KMT, that that was their priority. Now, the NPP uh, now that's left with Huang Guochang and his allies isn't working with the DPP. Now, Huang Guochang in particular has made a reputation of himself for taking on the KMT and the DPP. Now, this long term may be a very good strategy. The reason why I say this is because as the KMT collapses, of which more on that later, um, there needs to be a logical, coherent, and strong and clear opposition to the DPP to take the role of opposition party. 
Now, the NPP already has some brand recognition. They have considerable support among the youth, more of which on that in a minute. Um, but they have something that they that if they can keep that image of being separate and they can make it into the legislature, that could see them a long way. However, Huang Guocheng is off number four on the party list, which means that the party will have to get something like eight to 10% in the national poll for him to get into the legislature. And that's a bit of a risk on his part. Now, that has the advantage of, of course, mobilizing and, and enthusiasm, you know, providing a lot of enthusiasm and energy to his people and his team to make sure that they get enough votes to make sure that he's in the legislature. But if he's out, they're going to have three people who are not particularly well known. So that's a risk for the NPP. If they if this gamble pays off, then they remain high, high visibility and they can really build on working to become a major opposition party going forward. Now, the Taiwan, the Taiwan State Building Party. Now, whether or not they get into the legislature or not is a is a is a unclear one. They are a Kaohsiung based party. They're fairly new, uh, but they have one stellar candidate in Chen Wei, also known as Sang Kyu, who is running in the Taichung Two. He's running against the powerful Yen family of the Black Faction in Taichung. Now they represent sort of old school politics. This is a patronage uh, faction family. Yen Qingdao is legendary, been in and out of jail. And right now, the seat is held by his son, Yen Quanhang. Now, Yen Quanhang is, of course, the favorite to win. However, if Chen Wei can pull off an upset, that would be huge. And that would mean that the Taiwan State Building Party would have an actually a pretty good shot at then having a high profile because that would get him into the talk shows and so on and so forth. So there would be some visibility for the party. Now, they, uh, even if he doesn't win, however, the key is, is to watch whether or not he pulls off a good result. Now, he's running in a fairly conservative district uh, along the Taichung coast, but if he can pull off a, a good, strong showing, that would also be a boost to the party. If he does very badly, bombs out, well, then that's that. However, the Taiwan State Building Party, the New Power Party, and the Democratic uh, Progressive Party are the top three uh, in popularity among the young. There was a recent uh, mock election held uh, with students. It was 11,000-some-odd, um, of whom 2,000-some-odd were high school students, and the remainder were college students. Now, those college students, which would be eight 9,000 of them, those are either already potential voters or are soon to be potential voters and they picked in order on the party on the on their mock party list the uh, new power party only about a percentage point ahead of the dpp the democratic progressive party who is only about a percentage point ahead of the taiwan state building party the three of those parties got nearly 80 percent of the support of the youth so the Taiwan State Building Party, if they can pull off a good result in this election, this uh, th that would mean that they are also a potential force going forward. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Now, they have, uh, if they can get past the 5% margin to actually get seats in the legislature on the, part, legislature on the party list with proportional representation, that could be tough. 
in the run-up to the election, the support for them, because the the you know the the support levels were in all the different uh, sources were all over the place. So who knows? Some of them had them above the five percent. Some didn't. Their biggest challenge may be that uh, the young who would who might support them may put their vote uh, strategically to the new power party. That may be their biggest challenge there. All right, very quickly, I just want to uh, jump to a few quick. I'd like to mention in The Diplomat, uh, there's a very intriguing article here. Uh, It's the downside of Taiwan's uh, foreign policy under Tsai. It's by Nick Aspinwall, who's always solid. Uh, the Lowy Institute, this is by Natasha Kassam and Richard McGregor. I, am, I don't know him. Um, this is uh, China has lost the battle for public opinion in Taiwan. That is definitely uh, an article to check out. It covers a lot of ground between the relations between Taiwan, China, the United States, and Australia's role in that. Um, also, check out, uh, sorry, this is the diplomat that I mentioned, the Thai Doctrine. That's the one I mentioned a moment ago. And I'm going in the wrong direction here. All right, let's try this. I'm new at this. All right, so here's the Frozen Garlic article. And let me finish up here on Ketagalam Media. Uh, this was by uh, Kat Thomas, and she talks about the household registration system and how it disenfranchises its young voters. Check that out on Ketagalan Media. But she notes that because vote, young voters or voters in Taiwan by law have to vote where they're legally registered, this will impact the NPP and the Taiwan State Building Party the most because young tend to work or study in other cities and they don't have a lot of finances or time to go back to where they're originally from to vote. Anyway, check that out. That's Kat Thomas on Ketagalam Media. Taiwan's household registration system disenfranchises and disenfranchises its young voters. All right, let me remind you that I'll be on ICRT as part of the coverage team reporting uh, live uh, on election night as the results come in. Um, I'll be covering the Taichung angle. And then uh, Current Affairs Taiwan, our show with me and Michael Turton, we're going to be doing a special uh, election, uh, a post-election wrap-up. We'll be recording on Sunday evening instead of our regular Monday evening. So look forward to that, and I hope you tune in. Also, check us out daily on report.tw. This has been brought to you by the Taiwan Report. For more content like this, become our patron at report.tw.